Uh, so in this uh, time at Grassroots, if, if you're just uh, tuning in, if you're, if you're new here, uh, we've been talking a little bit about uh, the heartbeat of the church, which is uh, a church of people who want to spread the selfless love of Jesus across the face of the earth. And uh, we believe that the selfless love of Jesus is the most powerful, pure, freeing uh, thing in all of the universe. And so we want to be people who take in that love, know how to receive that love deep in our hearts, and then translate that into our hands, into the world. And so uh, as, as that's part of our mission statement here at Grassroots, we've been talking about love and, and exploring the nature of love and Jesus's love over the course of many months. And I've been kind of going back and forth between a little more Bible study focused uh, studies on Jesus's love and then how that hits our practical everyday lives. And so we're in one of those, how does Jesus's love hit our practical everyday lives kind of series. This is um, a series on parenting and parenting relationships. And if you were here last week, you'll know we, we began in this with this, uh, a sermon on uh, honoring our parents. And so what do we do? Uh, how, do how do we express Jesus's love uh, to those who have raised us? Um, so you're jumping in today to the second of three sermons on parenting. And this one um, is a little more uh, into how do we use Jesus's love? How do we express Jesus's love to the children in our life? And, um, you know, as we've been talking about Jesus's love and the practical patterns of love, these are the main practices which we uh, are, are zeroing in on of our, our role. Uh, gratitude, forgiveness, remorse, and journaling. These are the kinds of things that we can learn how to do and become really good at if we want the love of Jesus to be uh, uh, revealed in our relationships and to grow in them. And so you'll see how that kind of fits into some of my teaching this morning on parenting. Uh, so parenting, we're getting into this a little bit. And before we get into this too much today, I want to make sure like I did last week, week to be explicit about what I'm talking about. So I'm talking about parenting relationships. So um, of course, being parented is one of those examples. Uh, there are children in our lives, whether they're biological or fostered or adopted, that many people are in charge of rearing. Um, but then there are also all sorts of other kids in our lives, like nieces and nephews, and nieces and nephews in the faith. You'll see many of them running around this place, uh, stealing um, all sorts of craft supplies every week. Um, <laughs> I, I find the weirdest crafts on Monday mornings tucked. I don't know. I, I didn't. I, I missed this, but someone had like made a, a pipe cleaner man and hung it on one of the, the Christmas decorations, and it was there for who knows how many weeks. I'm like, oh, you little people. Um, it's amazing. Uh, but there are all sorts of children in our lives, especially in church. And then there are future kids in our lives that we may not know about yet that will be coming in a uh, short or long time uh, in the future. And so as we think about parenting and loving parenting, I'm not just talking about those of you who have children right now and are actively parenting. I'm talking about all of us who are in relationships with children and, and then those of us uh, who have relationships with those who are, have parented us. So that's what I'm talking about today. And this comes really into three kinds of topics. So last week we talked about learning to honor our parents. Uh, this week, managing our homes with good character. And three, giving children time, touch, and encouragement, even in the, the worst of times. 
And so as we think about these, these topics, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to get as practical as possible, just trying to show us what are some good ideas that can get us into showing Jesus' love on an everyday basis to the kids around us. And um, today I'm going to do a little more, I'm, I'm going to dive into some of the pastoral letters and its teaching on, on this. Um, but hopefully we get to a space, space where we're talking some through some pretty practical ideas. So I'm going to get through some Bible study today as well as, as deeper into some practical stuff. Um, so when we think about the second piece here, managing our homes, oftentimes we think the goal in managing our homes uh, with good character is to have compliant kids who share, who never fight, who adore their parents, who trust and obey them at every turn, and we and we sh- our job is to shape them into peaceful little citizens, right? Like that's kind of what we think our job is and our ideal home. And when it's not that, when it's anything but that, we can think, what's wrong? What's going on here? What am I doing wrong? And we spend all of our energy and effort on fixing it and trying to shape our homes into this idealized version of what we hope for. But then we get into things like... Uh, um, <laughs> Screaming and fighting and shaming and the slamming of doors and expression of frustration and outbursts of frustration and the battle of wills that go on in, in our homes um, and the defensiveness and the disobedience and the mocking. And you think, Keith, do you have a secret camera in my house? How do you know all this? And I'm telling you, it's because, I know it's because I live in a home (laughs) and I can lay in bed sometimes and listening, you know, waking up in the morning, struggling to get out of bed sometimes, listening to all this chaos. And and I I think sometimes my my house just devolves into something like a giant dumpster fire. (laughs) I had to, um, you know, like there's that like not so sort of like, um, you know, nice way of saying things are like a blank show. You know what I'm talking about? I wanted to say that, that like sometimes my house is that, but then I'm like, I can't say that publicly and I'm a pastor. And, and then so I had to Google like Urban Dictionary. How do you say that without cursing? And the word is dumpster fire. So um, I don't know if, you, if your home ever devolves into a dumpster fire, but mine does all the time. Um, and the reality is, um, is that in our homes, whether we like to admit it or not, we are caught in one of the most powerful forces in all society, which is the battle between generations. Generational strife. One generation coming up, knowing absolutely nothing or little to nothing, thinking that they know the best and that they're going to solve the world's problems. And a a generation of parents who realize they've just come out of that, they realize there's so much that they can't do. And a whole generation above them who've either sort of just sit back and roll their eyes or they've given up or, you know, we, we have... We have these generational um, fault lines that we exist with, and they're and they're always at battle. Really, if you if we think about them, and so when we when we're in our homes, we're in the midst of that powerful force. And as we we think about that, um, we have a chance in our intergenerational relationships if we give ourselves to them and to enjoying the messiness and the chaos of this experience, uh, we have a, a great potential. There's a great reward, especially if we remember that God is with us <laughs> in the midst of all of this. 
And sometimes we think of parenting as getting our lives in order and making them nice and shiny, look shiny. But we forget that really we're riding a terrible storm. <laughs> and our job is to learn to enjoy it. <laughs> and um, that's why the phrase loving parenting is a double kind of title. You know, we want to give Jesus' love and show lovingness in our parenting. But we want to learn to love it, right? And we're not going to if we think our job is to make it shiny. <laughs> Uh, our job in the midst of all of this is to embody Christ's love, which I'm going to emphasize today is in, including saying sorry as adults when we mess up. That's a key piece of the puzzle to learning to enjoy this force. So there's so much to say today, but the basic message is this. Christian parenting rises and falls on the quality of our character in the midst that's missed. In the midst of trial. Midst of trial. I could go both ways, can it? It's meant to be midst. Um, you know, although we can, like, pick our own techniques, choose our own parenting philosophies um, for keeping the peace or minimizing sin or helping kids obey uh, for managing our home as well, Christian parenting rises and falls on the quality of our character in the midst of trial. That's what makes Christian parenting Christian. Now, there's not much teaching about this really in the New Testament, not, not a lot of how-tos. There really is no how-to-parent manual, not even in the Bible. I mean, uh, what, we, what we're given is a cross through which we filter all of our, our, our lives, through which we filter all of our, our thinking and, and um, acting. And so uh, because of this, we, we have some work to do to think, how does the cross, how does Jesus' love affect our parenting relationships? But there are a few little hot spots in the scriptures that tell us about parenting. One of them is in 1 Timothy 3, 4. And I think this really, this one sentence really captures what the New Testament has to say directly about parenting. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. So I think it says it all. And I think, honestly, if we met, it, it, this, is, this is it. This is the New Testament epitome of teaching on parenting. If we memorize this, if we think about it, if we digest it, I think we'll have all of the wisdom we need to, um, to bring Christ's love into our homes. So let's dig into this a little more today. So this is from the letter of Timothy. The uh, pastoral letters are two letters in the New Testament which are written from Paul to a few of his followers. It looks, if you study the, the letters carefully, it looks as if um, like someone other than Paul wrote these, like a different language, different, um, different things. There's new characters that don't show up in other letters. And so what we get is the sense that either Paul commissioned someone to write this for him, these letters to his, his two friends, or uh, his, two, his followers who took his, his teachings and compiled them together and, and wrote these letters. So either way, if we believe in the inspiration of scriptures, as we believe that God has inspired the scriptures, either way, what we have here is a very Pauline kind of thinking on how to raise kids. So uh, these are the pastoral letters. If you don't know them, they're near the end of the New Testament. They're quite small, so you can read them in a good in one sitting if you're interested. Uh, but there's a verse, the verse today comes out of the, the teaching from Paul's letter to Timothy, but there's a lot of uh, crossover. Paul, Paul's instructing Timothy and Titus. He's, he's, Timothy is sent to the city of Ephesus and Titus to the island of Crete, and Paul is telling them, uh, you're there alone, uh, 
I've left you there. You need to set up some churches. I'm going to give you some instructions on how to set up churches and what's expected for Christian leaders in these churches. So that's kind of the context that we are entering into the teaching. There's lots about being an older man, a respectable older woman, a respectable younger man, and a respectable younger woman. But Paul's going to tell Timothy to set up two kinds of people. First, set up deacons, and then set up bishops. Those are kind of, if you come from a higher church tradition, you'll recognize those words. But really, deacons are those people like staff, ministry team leaders here at Grassroots. And bishops, they're like the board. So we have people who, uh, deacons who, and staff members and team leaders who run the day-to-day business of the church, and the bishops who are more of overseers, the people who are making sure that things uh, are going well in the church. Um, we have, by the way, we have seven board members here, if you don't know that. We have uh, seven people who are entrusted with caring for the church, overseeing it. And if you don't know who they are, uh, you can find, um, uh, you, can, you can ask me or find their name on the website. Um, but there's, they're doing a great job, and um, they're, they're on like a three-year kind of term. So anyway, just a little behind-the-scenes stuff there, in case you're interested. Um, so we have deacons, bishops. Uh, these are the two kinds of people that, that Paul is telling Timothy and Titus to set up for them. And there are all sorts of kind of baseline characteristics of who these people should be, like kind of standards or the kind of people you're looking for for these roles. Uh, I put some Greek up here in case you're interested. There's a few things like they need to be a one-woman man. Uh, I, I think this is interesting. Like this, The way it comes into English is a faithful to his wife and... Um, uh, and but the literally in the Greek, that's the word for one, that's the word for a woman, that's the word for man. So this is a one woman man, is who these people should be. Uh, this is an interesting word, Iskrokerdres. Let's all say it together. <laughs> this word here is like earning money. Kerdes is earning money, and this is like the word for dirty or shameful, like a shameful way of earning money or not, or they should not be someone who's earning money corruptly. Um, or, or this one, they should be able to hold on to the deep truths of the faith. The, this is the musterion tes pisteos. So this is the Greek word that we get the word mystery from, the, the deep truths of the faith that they're supposed to hold on to. So you can see these are the kind of characteristics that Paul is saying. Timothy, Titus, keep your eyes out for these kind of people. These are the ones who you want in your leadership structure, in your church. Um, and um, let's see. Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 3, uh, and I'll just kind of read this out. So I, I showed you a little bit of, in, in detail of what the, what, what's happening here, the context, but let me just read this for you so you see. So Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 3, 1, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be a bishop desires a noble task. The overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He, now here, here comes the, the, the family part. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. And there's our key word today that I'm getting into. And you can see all these characteristics, how they're going to add up to someone worthy of respect. It's the good character, the character of Christ that we bring into our home that matters. 
if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Um, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So if you see that the devil's judgment is being prideful and conceited, um, that's why the devil was cast out from heaven. And so um, it's important that these people don't become conceited. He also must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace, into the devil's trap. So can anyone raise their hand if they feel like they meet all of those criteria? <laughs> That's a a tall order. But that's what we we strive for. The Christian faith comes and works in a person and works on their character and makes them someone who uh, is on their way to being um, described by these kinds of words. So, again, the character. You can see kind of how this character is so important. Not violent, not quick-tempered, self-controlled, not overbearing, not quarrelsome not wild or disobedient, not indulging in too much wine or some of the other things Paul says about the character. And you can kind of see, if you, if, if you see where I'm going here, you can kind of see how all of this matters as well in parenting. All this stuff matters in, in managing our homes well. On the flip side of this are the characteristics of holy, upright, a good reputation, and worthy of respect. And that's our key word here. This, this is the word which links us straight back into the teaching on parenting. So two things here I want to say before we dive in a little further. Um, one, this is what church leaders should aspire, aspire to. This is what we're looking for. But that doesn't mean that if you're not a church leader, you don't have to aspire to this. Like These are the things, again, which make Christ evident in our life. And so this really is teaching for all of us. Um, but notice the clear teaching on, on character. I just want to emphasize that. Character is key. So here, let's dive into each of these words a little bit. First um, Timothy 3, 4, he must manage his own family well so, and, and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy uh, of full respect. So managing our family, that's the key to it. We need to manage our families. Like, like our, our families need to be managed. If we, if we have uh, families and kids around us, we need, we need to manage. And there's all sorts of theories about how to manage your family. Like, um, here, here's some like, theories, like well-studied theories by psychologists. You could, do, you could choose positive parenting, where you focus on the positive attributes of the kids. You can focus on attachment parenting, which um, focuses on the relationship and be, uh, uh, helping the kids to be securely attached to, uh, to, some, to someone to, in a relational way. Unconditional parenting, spiritual parenting, slow parenting. These are theories. These are a little more styles here. You can be an authoritative parent or an authoritarian parent or a permissive parent or an uninvolved parent. Like, there's, there, pick, pick your choice. There's lots of theories out there, and they're, they're there to help you manage your home. Um, uh, and what's interesting to me here about this word is the word own. <laughs> manage his own family. Like, we're not going to be able really ever to have one cookie-cutter approach to every family. It's, they're all different. The situations are all different. The human beings that you're living in your home are all different. And we really can't um, try to manage other people's homes. And, and we can get a little prideful, can't we, sometimes, with my new technique or my new theory that I've found the way, I've found the new bulletproof idea of parenting 
parenting kids. But you have to choose a way. You have to manage your home somehow. It takes work. And, and we do have to learn different techniques and different styles in order to, to help um, parent our, our children. And if you're parenting with another adult in, in, the, fa- in the family, try to be on the same page as possible with which styles you're managing with. Because if, if you're on different pages, it's like that's just going to be a fight over and over again. Uh, so yeah, manage your own families. And then see that your kids obey you um, the, the, I, I love the Greek, the way it works in here. Uh, see that his children obey him. And the word see that kind of gets, gets into the idea that this is a process. You can't just expect this to happen overnight. You can't just demand obedience. You've got to do something. Make sure that you're seeing that your children obey you. So again, this takes work. We've got work to do to manage our home. Um, but again, you know, I think if we were just to take these two ideas, managing your own family well, seeing that your children obey you, and if that's all we think about, if that's all we're focused on, we can really come to the idea that we've, all we need is a controlled environment where there's lots of poise, and that's the goal. And these techniques are going to get us there. Um, but that's not what the Bible gives us, ultimately. The Bible puts an emphasis on doing so in a manner worthy of full respect. That's what, that's what I'm inviting us to think about. And here's the thing. If you end up trusting in your techniques over God, here's what's going to happen. One, you'll be annoying. <laughs> because you're going to walk around telling everyone in the world your new theory about how they should parent, and that's going to be annoying. So um, we can really become overly uh, compulsive about our techniques. Uh, the second thing is your kids will rebel because they're going to see that you care more about your technique than you care about them. If you're going to be rigidly in a technique and you get over-obsessed on it, your kids are going to just rebel against it. Or what's going to happen is they're going to completely submit under your authoritarian kind of way and they're going to live there for a while and maybe never launch. And really part of our work as parents, one of our main work as parents is to get them ready to launch to be independent people who can live and think on the, with their own mind and on their own terms. And so I'm saying, yes, you have to manage your family. Yes, find something that helps them to learn to obey you. But don't get obsessed on this because you are in a storm of relationships between generations. And there's really nothing that's going to stop that. So, uh, but what makes this Christian, what, what, what Christian parenting is all about is... The filter of the cross. How does the cross matter in our relationships? And so here it is. Do so. Do it all in a manner worthy of respect. And I think that this phrase opens up the whole vision of what Christian parenting should be about. How to embody Christ's love in the mess of it all. Learning... um, to enjoy God's formative work and the hardness of it all. Um, you know, we've got, we've got the, um, the characteristics, remember? Don't be violent, don't be quick-tempered, don't be overbearing, don't be quarrelsome, being respectful. And, but I think, you know, if you remember some of the teaching on Jesus' love, uh, Jesus' love, there's no self-preservation. Remember the teaching is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. There's no demanding honor. Those who exalt themselves 
will be humbled. There's no self-righteousness involved. And so when we think about how to grow as parents, we really do begin to think through some of these characteristics. Um, you know, your kids may treat you like a slave. Jesus' love is, I am, Jesus is, when he says, I love you, he's, not, he's saying, I'm not a slave, but I am your servant. And so how do we draw that line for our, our children? How do we make sure they don't treat us like slaves? But how do we lean into the fact that the, one of the greatest definitions of children that I know are helpless people with endless needs? <laughs> That's not to disrespect you kids, but it feels sometimes like you're helpless and the needs are endless. And so when it comes to uh, serving our kids, how do we take sometimes what can feel like just that um, ever present demand to serve and really embrace it. Um, how, do we, how do we think of ourselves? Like, what does it feel like when our children treat us like slaves? How are we to act when we serve them? What are the ways we can see parenting as an exercise in humility and enjoying that exercise in humility? Um, you know, what does it look like to demand honor from our kids? You know, we want them to obey, we want them to follow, but what does it look like to demand honor? Now, I'm just going to pause here and as I go through this, this framework, this filter, and to say, look, the scriptures don't give us a ton of how-tos. So I'm not going to be here today to give you a ton of how-tos either. The scriptures focus us on thinking through parenting Christianly, and so that's what I'm here to do today. So I'm, I'm just asking lots of questions. I'll give a few practical ideas, but I'm just asking some questions today for us to help us remember what this is all about. Um, what does it feel like to give in to kind of self-protective tendencies for in parenting, patterns of parenting? Like uh, helicopter parenting is, is one of those overprotective, self-protective kind of, sort of ways of being. Um, how can we choose to be self-righteous in our parenting? Like what are the ways we can regularly forgive our kids for what they've done to us? Um, and how can we really treat, learn to treat these trials as, as God's formative field for us? Um, so there's so much here, but I, I just want to maybe give us a few ideas. Here's some things that I think through in terms of, of parenting Christianly. Repentance. I think one of, the, one of the best ways that you can be respectable as a parent is regularly to ask for forgiveness um, from your kids. Now that, that kind of might rub us a little wrong way. Like if we ask, if we, if we show our kids remorse of the way that we've treated them, aren't they just going to, you know, take control over us and run, run all over us? Or uh, what about the kids who I barely come in contact with because I'm serving them in, in roots and shoots or I've got aunties or I'm sorry, I've got nieces and nephews, you know, like, um, it would be weird to just sort of ask forgiveness to them. I'm saying this is one of the ways we can be most respectful to the people that we have raised or are raising is really to find ways to repent and to ask for their forgiveness. So, um, sorry, this is the word mad. Um, I just copied and pasted this off a website because it was so good, so... Here it is. Here's some ways that we can, we can practice this. I was pretty mad before when you wouldn't stay in bed and I yelled at you. I'm really sorry. You don't deserve to get yelled at. I will work harder at staying calm and I need you to stay in bed at bedtime. How can we make it easier for you to stay in bed and fall asleep? I love that because this isn't just sort of letting the kids out of the managing structure. You need to manage them. But this is actually apologizing. I'm sorry 
you didn't deserve that period. Our kids need to hear this stuff from us. You know, I Googled, I, I Googled um, as I was prepping for this, how to, like, um, how to ask for, for forgiveness. And there's a lot out there on this. You know, if you want some, some teaching, there's a lot out there. You can Google it. But this is, this is really good. We need to be people who are regularly asking for forgiveness. Or another example, I told you I would get a new notebook when I went to the store, and then I completely forgot. I'm so sorry. I know you were counting on me to come home with the notebook. I'm just suggesting, I'm inviting us to think through this kind of practice on a regular basis to insert some of that peace in the home. Uh, our kids really need to hear it. And adults, you know, like as, as, as kid, people who've grown up, I, I can't, um, I've got three or four things that I really just wish my parents would say sorry for. And I'm not sure if they will or, or what it is, you know, and it's probably my responsibility at some level to communicate that to them. But parents, when you do this, when you say sorry and apologize to your kids for things that you know that have hurt them, like it's, it's a really profound balm, healing experience in, in the family. Just one more example. I had such a hard day. Everything at work went wrong. And then you were having a hard time settling down and I got frustrated. I was at the end of my rope, so I yelled at you. But that's no excuse. No one deserves to be yelled at ever. When we get mad, it's our job to express our feelings without attacking another person. And yelling is an attack. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. You know, like it's not, not going to be nice little put-together family. That's not the way this world is set up. There are going to be lots of instances in which we need to repent. And it won't be something that will cause our children to lose respect in us. But, I, but it will be something that they will only gain more and more respect on. Um, so we need to be respectable. That's the key here. Be respectable people. Uh, and repentance is one of the great ways to do it. Now, the brilliance of, and, and let me say this too. And um, if you are a person of good character, if you are someone who is respectable, the obedience aspect will grow. <laughs> like, you know, respectability should breed obedience. And what we don't want is obedience at all costs. We don't want obedience because our kids disrespect us. We want, we, you know, it, it could happen. We can get into that setup, but we want the obedience to flow out of the respect as Christian parents. Now, the brilliance of the kind, this kind of family life that God has set up, the brilliance of it all in the warring of generations and how sin in this world and brokenness comes together in the war between generations, the brilliance of this all is that putting human beings like this together in a small confined space is that it's going to take a lot of work for us um, to, stay, uh, to, to stay loving it. I guess I could say it that way. Like it's a trial. It's a, it's a real trial to be in parenting relationships. And the brilliance is that it's exactly the thing God uses to shape us into people who can love well. We need to love well. And when we fail, we get formed into people who love better. And this process goes back and forth, and it really is a baptism. If you remember, if you were here for the baptism series, baptism is our ongoing life experiences of trial, which God uses to shape us, and the family unit, and the relationships with parenting relationships outside of the family unit. They're perfect places to learn how to love well. And so what we really need in this kind of uh, parenting as a baptism. If we remember this is the purpose and this is what's going to happen and this is what God is up to after all in our lives, um, gratitude is one way to be respectable. So I Googled as well how to be grateful for your kids. <laughs> it's like we need the instruction manual. How can I be grateful for these little human beings who are messing everything up? 
And there's really nothing on the World Wide Web about this. <laughs> it's all how to make your kids into people who know how to be grateful, like how to teach your kids to be grateful. There's very little about how to be grateful for your kids, which is so fascinating to me because that can be one of the hardest experiences is when we come to realize these kids are such a blessing and they're a gift and I prayed for them and now I'm just sort of learning to despise them. It can be hard. It's real. Uh, but we've got, to, uh, we've got to be people who can learn to be grateful. And I'm not saying here, it would be easy to say, all right, here's some practices to be grateful for your kids. Sit down and take 10 minutes today and think about all the things you love about them. Like, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being grateful for the trial, being grateful for the mess, being grateful for the hardness, being grateful for the fact that this uh, is an experience that God uses over and over again in all parenting relationships to bring us to greater humility and to grow and shape our character. And when we can learn to embrace and give ourselves to God's forming hand in our parenting relationships, we're going to start enjoying this a little more, aren't we? <laughs> it's just going to happen. Um, We've got, to, we've got to trust that in this process, this battle of wills, this storm that can arise in our parenting relationships, we do our best to be respectable, to ask for forgiveness, to forgive our kids, to forgive them for all the times that they've screwed our lives up. Because really, it's not about self-protection, is it? It's not about like creating a life that is just so uh, ideal for us. It's about learning to give ourselves wholly to another who's, who's acting completely selfishly and in a way that you are ongoingly showing them the love of Christ. Um, so as a, you know, just as, as a reminder, if, if you only take away one thing, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say today is this, you are in a great trial. And you can give yourself to it in a way where you'll find great reward in it. And remember that God is with you in the mess, doing some awesome stuff. So uh, really, that's just an idea that I wanted to open up for us today as we think about managing our homes well. I think you get the point. But a few practical things here. I mean, Timothy and Titus, Paul taught them to teach overseers this. Like, if things are going well in your, your house, when, if, if things are... Uh, if, if you're really struggling in your parenting relationships, don't get lost in alcohol. You can see how alcohol and getting lost in alcohol can really be a factor that messes up this whole system. Uh, you know, uh, don't, the, the words in Greek are don't be given over to alcohol. Don't, be, don't, don't, be, let, don't let it be something that you become dependent upon. And, um, and if, if you're struggling to be a, good, a person of good character, if you're struggling to hold it together in your home, uh, and alcohol is a part of it, maybe you just have to give that up for a while until things calm down. That could be something that is, you know, a really practical thing. Don't be a lover of money. You remember the, the word up there, the, the gaining, dis, um, gaining money dishonestly, but there's also just that word, the, the being a lover of money in that list of characteristics. And you can see that if we love money, and if we are someone who are after our own financial gains, how that can really mess with our relationship with our kids. That's a huge piece of the puzzle. And if you're having a hard time being someone of good character in, family, in your family unit, someone who's got it, got it put together and embracing, embracing the trial of it all, maybe you've got to check yourself. Am I, am I, have, I, have I given myself to love money too much? I think, it, the, you know, all of, the, of all the teachings, those two things may be the most practical. 
Uh, but thirdly, in all of this, do the heart work required. Like this, what I'm talking about here, the way of being, of giving ourselves over to the character formation involved in parenting, the, the being of good character, the being humble and willingness to ask for forgiveness. It takes a lot of heart work. There's lots of pride and messiness that goes on in our hearts. Lots of things that um, are in there because they've been passed down to us from a previous generation. And they come to the previous generation from the previous generation. There's a lot of wounding and a lot of heart work that goes into being a person of good character. And this is why I talk about journaling so much. I don't know if, if you, you're here a lot and hear me talking about journaling, why that's so important. And, you know, not because, you know, because you're a great poet or because in future generations everyone's going to read your, your great works of literature. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting in touch on a weekly, even a daily basis of, of the trials and the struggles you're going through as a way to discover what God is doing in you and to join him. And this can be small lists you can make. This can be things that, that you write out. You may need to just take some time if you're going to get out the ways that you need to apologize. You just may need some time to reflect. Sit down this week with a journal and go, what are the three things I can apologize for that my kids are just probably desperate to hear. Um, do the hard work required. It's not easy, um, but it's, it is required. Uh, find a way to say sorry today. Do it today. Um, inviting you to think. But if you need help, if you're someone who is really struggling with your character in your parenting, get help. It's okay. Like There are great therapists out there. You have a church community. I would love to have a talk with you about your formation, your, your spiritual formation, if you really are someone who struggles with being of good character in the trial of parenting, get help. Find help. Your, your kids, you, you, you owe it to the little people in your life. And one of the things that are, is so true about parenting or being an aunt or an uncle or having kids in your life is whatever the case, you have the potential to stop generational sin in its tracks or at least a lot of it in its tracks uh, in your own parenting. So take the time, take the energy, be the one in the chain link um, to bring Christ's love into a link that may be filled with everything less than that. Um, but as we finish off today, I just want to give uh, the, one of the last things that Titus says to you to remind us of this. At one time, Titus, or Paul is saying to Titus, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. This is before Christ has come into our life. This is what is true of us. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And in our brokenness and in our fallenness, this can be really uh, explanatory or descriptive of what our homes can look like. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We don't want that to be the case. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the right things we had done, but because of his mercy. And here's the key. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Much of life is a baptism, a washing, a purification. And one of the greatest places God does that is in our intimate relationships. And if we learn to give ourselves to being Christ-like and showing Christ-like love in our, in our closest relationships... Um, God can do amazing things and, and free us as he does from all sorts of, of, of trials and um, things that are of our own making.
And there's a great reminder at the end that the Holy Spirit is with us. God is with us in the midst of this trial. So let's lean in. Let's find ways to show Christ's love to the, the little ones around us. And we'll, we'll finish off this thought next week. We have one more kind of idea that moves on from uh, this idea of, of showing Christ's love. And it's really choosing to give time and attention and encouragement to the little ones in our life. And we'll talk about that next week and, and its power. Uh, in the meantime, I'm not sure what you've taken from this, but uh, I'm sure it's a lot, lot, a lot of stuff, probably different stuff. You may be encouraged, you may be challenged, whatever it is today, it's okay. Um, God is with you, he's close to you, he's speaking to you, he wants to know that he's with you. Um, and we, we have a couple songs left, and, and we do this kind of practice every week because Jesus said, as much as you, when, when you do this, when you, when you gather together, you break bread to symbolize the fact that my love is like a broken body a body just given for another human being. And my blood is like my blood poured out for another human being. And this is the hardest way of being in this, this world as it is set up. But, but because of the freedom of Christ, because he's come before us and has defeated the powers of sin and death, uh, we can walk through and become people that are marked by his love in this world. And so every week we take a... Symbolically, we take food and drink and we digest it, asking once again for God to become part of us, his love to be that which defines us. So wherever you are, friends, whatever God has been saying to you today, I invite you forward to respond. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, sing a song, give your heart to him today. Uh, bring a prayer to the altar. So whatever it is, the table is set and everyone here is welcome. Welcome.